Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. We're continuing our conversation with Rance Rathy and Travis Smith, the owners and founders of Patagonia River Guides. PRG is one of the largest, most established operations in all of South America, guiding hundreds of anglers each season on some of the most pristine, productive, and untouched waters in a region that stretches from the San Martin area in northern Argentine Patagonia all the way south to the fisheries of Rio Pico. Patagonia is a vast and largely uninhabited region of over 300,000 square miles that straddles both Argentina and Chile. Travis and Rance have spent more than 25 years exploring and fishing the area, along the way creating the most comprehensive and professional lodge, outfitting, and guiding operation in the region. Extending more than 1,000 miles through southern Argentina and spilling across the border into Chile, Patagonia is larger than the state of Texas, a place where the fish and wildlife far outnumber the resident human population. Patagonia River Guides is American-owned and operated by Rance and Travis, native Montanans and lifelong fishermen who have been guiding anglers professionally since their teens. Following our first episode, where Rance and Travis shared stories from their early years and talked about how they found their way to Argentina to create the business they have today, this episode will focus more on the nitty-gritty and the technical aspects of fishing in Argentine Patagonia. When to go, what to bring, what to expect, and detailed advice on how to plan a trip that truly taps into the best the region has to offer. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us for part two, and thanks for continuing the conversation. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Great to be Jim. here. Yep. Well, in uh, episode one, we we talked a lot about how you guys got your start, how you found your way, first of all, to the sport of fly fishing, then the business, and eventually down to Argentina and, and to create what you've created today. Uh, one of the questions we get a lot uh, from people, whether they're looking to plan a trip with Patagonia River Guides or they're thinking about going down on their own or or going to maybe a different area in Argentina, is just how to tap into the right information and how to plan the trip. So I'm hoping we can break that down a little bit and talk about some of those things today. Well, um, yeah, the, your first trip down there, if you're, if you're thinking about going to Patagonia, <clears throat> you definitely want to do your research. Uh, it seems like the type of place you can go down and do it on your own. Uh, and you definitely can, but it's not that easy. So being prepared, uh, knowing what you're getting yourself into, knowing what you should take, pack, and prepare for is really important, as you say. Um, and I think, you know, you guys at Yellow Dog provide a lot of those resources. I think you can find a lot in your blog. I think you can find a lot on the website. Uh, ours, too, of course. Uh, but we don't lay it all out there on the website. Um, and so there are certainly a lot of things that people want to be aware of and want to prepare for, for their first trip to Patagonia. Well, and that actually brings up kind of an interesting point because these days there are certainly a lot more outfitters, lodges and guides down there than there used to be. And it almost seems like you can't pick up a fishing magazine or surf the web without finding uh, numerous ads for different programs and operations in Patagonia. And of course, every single one of these operations claims to offer the very best fishing that you can find. So a question for you is how does one go about selecting the best area and finding the best lodge or outfitting options, whether they're booking with PRG or not, how can anglers kind of cut through the, the noise to find a legitimate path forward with a trip package? You know, probably the best way is to go online look at look at someone's website um see if it's it's legit um check out the social media see if they're posting um things that look look um legitimate with with guests actual guests and actually you know different things you see a lot of people reposting things over and over again and and also you know send an email or make a call to us or yellow dog or one of those guys. And if you can't get in touch with them, that's uh, probably going to be an issue. Um, so it, just like Rance said, you know, do as much research as you possibly can look at, you know, where you might want to go and talk to somebody that, that does it, you know, all the guys at yellow dog that, that 
work with the Patagonia portion of the the business. They've all been to the places and they can kind of cut you cut cut through the BS that uh, that some of these websites might have. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always tell people, don't be afraid to ask for references. You know, you take a longstanding operation like yours. I mean, you guys have dealt with thousands and thousands of clients over the years. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering about the legitimacy of an operation or an agent or a program, ask for past client references. That's a great way to to find out uh, who's legit and who isn't. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, you know, any reputable outfitter will have one probably in, in the state, if not in the same city or town uh, that, that the person needs a reference from. Um, and I think if you get that to that far where you're like, we know a guy uh, in Indianapolis or we know a guy in, in, in Baton Rouge, uh, that's a pretty good deal because you probably already know him. I mean, this is a small industry. It is a small industry and a small uh, collection of people that love to travel the world for sure. Yeah. Well, Rance, let me ask you this, since we're, we're kind of getting more into uh, the how, what, when of fishing in Patagonia, let's start off by talking travel logistics. If someone wants to make the trip south to fish with PRG and they're coming from the States, tell us a little bit about the journey and, and how are we getting there? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's always a, a thing. I mean, we're at the end of the end of the earth. We're 6,500 miles South of Montana. Um, but it's not that far, um, in terms of travel. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, um, you've got to get to Miami. You got to get to Dallas. You got to get to Houston, maybe Los Angeles, maybe New York. And then you have an overnight flight into Buenos Aires. Um, if you can sleep on the plane, um, ambient helps glass of wine helps. Um, you're already, you're already halfway through the journey. So you're waking up in Buenos Aires, usually around seven, eight in the morning. Uh, you transfer airports and, um, you take a two hour charter or a charter, I take a two hour commercial flight, uh, to one of three or four airports, uh, in Patagonia. So flying time, you're looking about 12 hours travel time. You're looking overall, probably about 20 hours, uh, but you get to sleep overnight. So just like being a kid in a car, uh, the sooner you sleep, the shorter the trip is. Um, but it's not a, it's not a hard travel. Uh, and specifically cause you're not changing time zones. Uh, it's one hour East of East coast. So you're not going to get jet lag, uh, unless you're coming way from the West coast, you might feel a little bit. Um, but essentially it's not as difficult as many people might think. Well, and you bring up a great point, Rance, because a lot of times if we're, you know, heading east-west over to the Indian Ocean or to Africa or to Europe, um, you are jumping so many time zones that it, it does kick your ass a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, here we're flying north-south. And so your your internal clock isn't as messed up uh, even when you arrive. And and that's a huge thing. You can kind of hit the ground running and, and not have that multi-day, you know, entry process. Yeah. One of the cool things is, I mean, as you know, uh, it, it screws you up a little bit only in the sense that you're coming out of winter and you're used to it being dark at five and you get down there and it's dark at like 11 at night. Um, and this is kind of a cool thing about getting out of winter uh, and taking sort of the, the the time to travel to a place like Patagonia is you're really adding hours to your day and you're getting a second summer. Um, and this sun's really good for people coming out of winter. It, it is. And those long days are huge. It's like Montana in the summer. I mean, it gets, it stays late or light so late yeah. that, uh, you know, coming out of the darkness of our, our cold winter months, it's kind of a treat. Uh, one thing that we always recommend when people are making the trip down, especially if it's their first trip to Argentina, you're obviously flying to Buenos Aires and we're big fans of spending a day or two in Buenos Aires. I mean, it's such an amazing city. There's so much to see. Talk to us a little bit about what BA has to offer as a city and as kind of a, a, a good way to, you know, uh, arrive in the country, relax for a day or two before continuing on to your destination. So when you land in BA at seven or eight in the morning, we have people that will pick you up at the airport. They'll be standing there with your name on a sign and they pick you up, grab your luggage. Um, if you're staying the night, they'll take you to your hotel right downtown. And it, it, the Buenos Aires is a great uh cultural area it's a really metropolitan city it's uh much like uh you know paris or um it, it's it's a really cool place and the the people are ext extremely nice the food is excellent and it's a great way to hit the country kind of unwind spend the night get up in the morning and fly down to patagonia and be very refreshed when you get there and i mean there's so many city tours and things like that that you can do in ba that 
oftentimes as anglers, you know, we're in such a hurry to get to the fishery, you kind of overlook this stuff. But again, as I said, BA is one of those places we're, we're big fans of, and we, we highly recommend it. Yeah, totally. You could, you could spend a lot more than just a couple days there. Um, it's really a destination. It's a, it's a, it's a destination kind of city. Uh, it's the most cosmopolitan city in all of Latin America. Um, and you're definitely not in a status Unidos anymore. Uh, and it's kind of a cool deal. So there's lots of museums. Uh, there's some classic kind of tango show stuff. Uh, the city tours are incredible. The gardens, the parks, uh, the architecture. Um, and like Travis said earlier, we've got a team in Buenos Aires and they work with you guys as well at Yellow Dog that can line up uh, dozens and dozens of things to keep people busy, as busy as you want to be. Some people just like to chill. Uh, and peck and poke. Some people like to actually be on a tour, be guided, uh, and that's all available. And I think there's a lot to discover in that city, uh, uh, food-wise, wine-wise, culturally, um, art, um, museums, uh, you name it. Well, Travis, let's talk a little bit about time of year, because we were talking about how the seasons are, of course, flipped. You know, our winter here in the States is is your summer down in Argentina. Um Talk to us a little bit about your operating season and and the months when you kick the thing, you know, the season off and, and how long it goes. So the fishing season down there starts November 1st um, and we go into May. So, so depending on which area you're in, a few of the rivers stay open a little later into May and some, some don't. Um, but really... As far as time of year is concerned, um, we get asked all the time and when's the best fishing, when's the best time to be there. And like we said in the first episode, we, we have such a great variety of water that really, if you have time to come, you should make it happen. But so, so November is more like spring in the U S West. And so the rivers down there don't blow out like our rivers here, but they're a little high, but the fish are prime for the pickings because no one's been fishing to them all winter. Um, so that's mostly the, you know, bigger rivers and things like that. But we also have all these spring creeks that really fish out of their minds, um, early season, you know, and, and it's, it's, you can, you can get them on hoppers from day one. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, you know, the most popular time for people to come is about mid December to mid March because it's the summer and everyone's, you know, thinking about getting out of the U S for the winter. Um, my favorite times to be down there are the spring and fall. And so it's just like in the, in the U S you get some, you know, pretty incredible hatches you have the cooler weather at night. It's, uh, it's in the fish are very hungry, whether it's early or, you know, in April when they're getting ready for the, the cold winter. So, um, we also have in the, in the fall, we have a great cast and blast program with uh, quail and we also do red stag. And so if you come after March 15th, you can have a chance to go and shoot quail one day and then go fish one day. And it's really, really a great program. And, and it's really popular with us. Well, one thing about Patagonia, and we talked about this in the intro to our first episode, um, is that if you've never been down there before, but you have either grown up in the Western U S or spent a lot of time fishing out here, you arrive down there and there's almost this kind of sense of the familiar. Uh, it looks in, in certain areas like parts of Montana, parts of Idaho. Um, and as far as translating to the conditions down there, Rance, talk to us a little bit how that compares. <clears throat> well, you're right. It, everybody says like, whoa, this looks like, this looks like the, the big hole Valley, or this looks like the Madison Valley, or this looks like something. And there is some familiar, uh, parts geographically. Um, and everybody can find those because the region is so diverse. Uh, and so we talked about in the first episode about having rainforest, big mountain valleys, and then desert we're basically talking about pinching the entire Pacific Northwest of the United States uh, with Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming and adding in a little Nevada into this thing too. So it's not that hard to really find something you're familiar with. And that's why people describe and, and compare it to something in the United States. Montana comes up the most because we're really similar. It's, it's really a lot of desert, uh, big mountain stuff. Uh, the big difference um, that I want to point out with Patagonia is that it's temperate. Um, and many people think it's cold into the earth. And if you go, you go a couple hundred miles south of our southern operation, you've got real ice fields. Um, 
But there's a defined line, I guess, right between Treveline and the Escalera and Rio Pico, where the vegetation changes. And then past Rio Pico, you get into this sort of glacial stuff. But in general, going back to where we're at in central and northern Patagonia, these valleys are between 1,200 and 1,800 feet. Uh, here in Bozeman, we're looking at 5,000 feet. So you're more temperate, never gets as hot and never gets as cold. Um, and so one of the things really important to point out is it's not as cold as people think. It's actually warmer than people think. Um, and, you know, if you sort of think about walking around at 1,200 feet in comparison to 5,000, you get a pretty good idea. Um, where we're at in traveling in a scalp, for example, we've got green grass all winter. Um, and it's a really temperate, beautiful, amazing climate. And how about, and, and obviously, you know, you, you're all over the place on, on weather when you have a conversation about that. But one thing that really defines Montana and the Northern Rockies is you can get these crazy wild swings in weather where it can go from super hot to snowing in July. Uh, and this is a hard question to answer, but what's kind of the typical weather conditions that people can expect when they go down to fish during the majority of the season? So, I mean, we're in the mountains, so you never know what the weather is going to be like. It can, it can, we have been snowed on and then it's 80 degrees two days later. So, so it can be like Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Um, but it's, it's also typically, I'd say, you know, in the mid seventies in the middle of the summer. So, you know, early December through mid March. And then in the earlier part of season and the later part of season, it can, you know, 65 to 70 is a probably average temperature during the day. And it can drop down to, you know, 40 at night, but it's never, never super cold. You know, we, you might have a sweater on when you're sitting on the porch in the evening and you may get rained on during the day. So you just want to be prepared, but, but your average temperatures are, are pretty, pretty darn nice. Well, as far as is is the temperatures, this is a good lead into this um, hatches, and and a lot of anglers uh, always want to talk about the hatches in your area. Is this something that people really need to to think a lot about when you go down? How important is it? Uh, you know, depending on the different time of the season, uh, we talked a little bit at the end of the last episode a bit about the differences between. Argentina and Chile. Um, you guys have more hatches, uh, a much wider variety of hatches, but talk about the importance of hatch specific fishing situations in your areas. Well, it's, it's important if, if you're looking to go fish to rising fish, uh, to do your research. Um, Patagonia doesn't have the insect life that we have in Montana, although the bugs are the same. Uh, if you're looking specifically to try to, to mimic uh, Silver Creek or the Henry's Fork or the Missouri, which are, you know, great, great fisheries with hatches. You want to give somebody a call and you want to talk to us about, about what you're expecting and what you want to do. Some people like to like to wait for fish to rise and fish to them. And we've got those fisheries. Um, it's important to point out though, that, that most of Patagonia is, is more of a terrestrial driven, uh, fishery, almost all of them. Um, and we're talking about hoppers and crickets and beetles and ants and unidentified flying objects giant beetles, um, dragonflies. We've got all kinds of, of cool terrestrials and, and they run really from late spring all the way into fall. And since, you know, I was just talking about it doesn't get as cold as it gets in Montana. These things will, will, will have hoppers all the way until the end of the season. Um, but it's, you know, it's important if you're looking for a specific type of fishing, um, if you want to do match the hatch dry fly fishing to talk to somebody and we've got those fisheries. So how about gear? If I'm coming down for the first time, uh, do I need to bring all of my gear? Uh, do lodges and guides typically have it available? I know you guys have a pretty extensive program that that I'd love to hear uh, you talk about for a minute here. But as far as bringing stuff down, what do people uh, need to be aware of when they're heading south? So when we started our business, like we said, you know, our first year we had 12, 12 guests and, you know, we didn't have all the gear and things. And we really tried to make it easier for people to come to Patagonia. And throughout the years, we've, we've gotten some great relationships with, uh, Sims and Winston rods and Able reels. And, and so we basically started a program that you, you really only need to bring a duffel bag down with your toothbrush and some, you know, 
a few few sets of layers and some warm weather gear and a rain jacket and we provide the rest so we have all the best sims gear brand new um waiting for you down there so you don't always have to bring your waders unless you really want to we have the rods the reels all the tippet we have trout hunter tippet we have all the flies um you know we there are a lot of people that say they do we have all the gear that you can possibly imagine and we have every size you know even even if you have a full group of guys with size 15s we'll have boots for you um so we've really we've really tried to make it as easy as possible if somebody's flying on business at, to Buenos Aires they can to say hey i want to come down to patagonia and we'll be like okay we've got your gear for you and you're all set i i can literally walk onto the plane with nothing but a carry-on and i'm set yeah no problem yeah many of our many of our customers are actually doing that now um they've got the packing down some fishing pants fishing shirts uh polarized glasses and just pretty much a bottle of whiskey maybe and that's about it um we got the rest well, let's talk if, if I'm going to bring my own equipment down, let's say I, I, I want to bring my gear, I'm attached to it. What is the go-to setup uh, for your area with regard to a, a standard kind of rod and reel setup? Yeah. So the, it all starts with a, a nine foot six weight, um, weight forward, uh, fly line floating, and you're going to want to have a sinking line as well. Um, we don't use a lot of sinking lines in the, in the, the Western United States as, as, as you guys all know. Um, but down there, it's important to have one. Um, the water can be a little deeper and, um, it also, uh, fishing a big stream around the bottom works. So nine foot six weight, probably a 200 grain, 24 foot head shooting line. Uh, these are widely available. Um, with those, with those two lines, you can fish anywhere in Patagonia. You can bring a four. You're not always going to be able to use it. Um, we use a lot of hopper and dropper stuff, a lot of bigger dry stuff, and, and sometimes a streamer. So you could fish with a four, uh, some little spring creeks. You might want to bring an eight. Uh, you might want to bring an eight to throw that that sinking line um, and that dead chicken or whatever you want to call it on the end of there um, to, to strip. Well, you guys mentioned uh, another key uh, piece of gear a second ago. You talked about your long-time affiliation with Sims. Um, one thing about your long days on the water when you're being guided is you're kind of living in your waders. And so if you are bringing down your own waders and boots, make sure they are good. I mean, it's like a pair yeah. of jeans. You're going to be wearing it maybe 12, 14 hours a day. Right. The one thing, you know, bring if you're bringing your own gear, bring a good, good pair of waders good boots they they you're supposed to bring new boots into the country and you're not supposed to bring felt so you know a new pair of wading boots with rubber soles um you want a great rain jacket because you never know hopefully you don't have to wear it much um but it's always good to have it and not need it than need it and not have it and you talked a, a few minutes ago about the weather down there. And, and of course, this changes with the seasons. But talk to us about the importance of a good layering system. I think this is oftentimes overlooked by anglers, whether they're traveling to Montana or Alaska or down to Patagonia, uh, the importance of having that layering system so you can kind of be ready for anything. So everybody wants to uh, come down there and wet wade the whole time, which which fortunately we get to do that a lot. Um, but you always want to bring a couple pairs of fleece, you know, a really light layer, um, you know, that you can wear under your waders. And so if it's, you know, just a little cool in the mornings, you can have those on and then, you know, a thicker, thicker layer of some sort of fleece or, you know, a, a puffy jacket. And, and then, um, you know, we always recommend that you bring a stocking cap just in case, just to have it. But, but you you want to you want to have that stuff just so in case it does get cool, you're going to have a much more pleasant day if you're on the water for ten hours. What about other key pieces of equipment that are super important? Things that maybe people overlook when they come down and, and say, and and I know you guys have pretty much everything down there, but uh, let's say I'm I'm not at PRG. Uh, or, you know, I'm out on my own, I'm at a different lodge, something that someone gets down there and says, oh man, I wish someone would have told me to bring this. What are some key pieces of equipment? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking sun, sun protection here. Um, I think sun gloves, uh, and a couple pairs of them, I think you're going to use sun gloves, a buff, uh, and polarized glasses. I think you've got to be ready for sun. Um, Argentina, you know that Andes hold up those clouds and you're going to get sun and you're going to get intense sun. 
uh, it might be a little more intense than Montana. Even there, there was a hole in the ozone layers closing back up, fortunately, but it's down there in Southern Chile. Um, so you're gonna get some intense rays. Um, and you're gonna want probably a, a spare pair of polarized glasses. Um, you break the first one, there's no store where you're gonna go find yourself another pair of Costas or, or whatever brand you like. Um, so make sure to bring a backup. And if you go to another place, you're gonna end up giving that stuff away to somebody. Somebody's gonna do like Travis and I talked about, the Gaucho's gonna, episode one, the Gaucho's gonna pack you in on a horseback and you're gonna wanna sort of, sort of Lewis and Clark trade him out something. Uh, so I'd say, you know, the other thing is a Leatherman, uh, and I might bring a Leatherman. I might bring actually two more of them, maybe not the most expensive ones because you'll find somebody that's going to help you, uh, whether it's a flat tire, whether it's finding that fishing place, whether it's doing something, whether it's cooking you an asado and you're going to want to sort of give him something and money's not always the best thing. It's always some cool deal. You know, um, Leatherman happened to be those things, polarized glasses, an extra fly line. If it's a fisherman. Um, so take a couple things down, you know, I would say sun protection first off, and then think about like, in case I need it, I'll use this. But in case I find what he's telling me right now, that, that person, those people, that place, uh, I've got something I can kind of, kind of leave my legacy there. Yeah. That's good advice. Really anywhere you travel in the world. Oh, I yeah, love totally. that. I love that. And, and also, you know, I think good quality polarized glasses are so often overlooked. People spend so much money on a trip and on the, the travel logistics to get there and they buy, you know, the, the most high end rod and reel setup they can, they buy expensive waders and then they bring mediocre lenses in their glasses. And that's just a killer. Yeah, it really is. And especially down there. I mean, uh, I would say 75% of the fish you're going to fish to in Patagonia, you're going to see them before you fish to them. And you're going to see them better if you got a pair of sunglasses, uh, that really do the job. Uh, so be ready for sight fishing. Um, and don't skimp. I mean, you got it right. You guys have a, a brand and a lens color you really like down there for most kind of typical situations. Our, our entire staff wears Costa. Um, they're, they're great. The, um, of course you want glass lenses. I think the, the difference in lens color, a lot of, a lot of guys like the copper lens. I don't know about rants. Um, I like to try some different colors from time to time and just see if they're, they work any differently. And all, all of their stuff is really good. Um, so, so as long as you have a really good pair, um, and bring a backup pair, um, I don't know how many times I've loaned one of my extra pairs of glasses to someone, um, actually had a couple pairs come in broken, um, by them hitting themselves in the, in the face <laughs> with, with a fly and, um, you know, make sure, make sure you make sure you have the right, the right stuff. What, what color do you like? Uh, I'm sort of, sort of that amber sort of yeah. brown stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that important. The the other thing to bring up, you know, is the extra fly line. I, I can't, I, I've been, you know, whatever, just thousands of guide trips and people bring their own stuff and you pull out this fly line for the first time. And you're like, my goodness, you just traveled 6,500 miles with this, this crap. Right. Um, before you go on any trip, I think you'll say the same thing. Go down to the fly shop if you can't tie it on yourself. Get yourself a new fly line in every setup and bring a spare. And you're going to use them and you're going to be really happy. I mean, nobody likes to cast a bad fly line. Um, and it's, I mean, fundamentally it makes you a better fisherman. It floats better. You're going to catch more fish. Uh, and you're going to have a much better experience. Bring the extra one. Tie it on halfway through the trip. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you spend eight or $900 on a new rod, the same amount on a new reel. And then you say, oh, you know, I've got that five weight from, you know, 10 years ago. That thing looks like it'll still perform. I'll just go ahead and put that on my new setup. And it's such a fail. Yeah. Forget about it. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about flies. And I know we could do a whole program just on talking about fly patterns for Patagonia. But do you guys have a, a handful of, of go-to patterns you love down there? And again, I know when a client shows up to PRG, that's all covered. You got your guides have everything you're going to need. But uh, is there a, a handful of just super important kind of go-to patterns that you guys love for your region? Yeah, I think that, I think you can get away. I think you can get away with, you know, maybe a half a dozen really good flies. And they've got to be, you know, rubber-legged dry flies. Um, we're talking a fly, a fly that I originally tied a long time ago called the gypsy King. Um, but there's a lot of stuff. It's kind of in the Madame X genre, but dark, uh, and foam. So big black foam, uh, all sizes of foam, 
you're going to want to have some standard nymphs. Um, we're talking about pheasant tails and prince nymphs. You don't have to get too fancy. And you're going to want to have some streamers, rubber-legged uh, and darker-colored streamers. You mentioned the first episode, the white, the box of white ones. The white ones don't work very good. Um, so try to stay dark. I think it's a lot to do with the sun, the, the clarity of the water, uh, that the fish really are more into dark flies. Um, so if you stay on the, the dark side of flies, you're going to be better off. Um, so standard nymphs, um, floating dries, big and black. Um, and then some streamers in darker colors, some with rubber legs, some without. And, you know, we do provide all the stuff down there, but we always recommend that if somebody's got a favorite fly or something cool that's new to bring, bring a dozen of them down. And, you know, it's the same thing with the Leatherman. If you find that fly and you're out with that guide, that was, uh, they're going to, they're going to be really happy that they have a couple extras of those to try out the next week. So um we all we have a we have a thing down there called a pancora crab that lives mostly on the on the east side of the continental divide and they they even live in our spring creeks and things and they're this big crab that uh the fish just go absolutely nuts for and so so you know the streamer with the rubber legs that's uh that's one of the things they're really going for which makes the area unique yeah it's wild you guys have those crabs i mean oftentimes you'll pick up a really heavy fish and you could feel those things in their belly. You yeah, know, they've totally just crazy. been chowing them. Yeah, yeah. It's like having golf balls, golf balls inside a fish. We've <laughs> also got those, the giant canteria beetles. Um, and those are more in the Valdivian forest. They're not in the desert. Um, and those things, you know, can be as big as a pink or a crab. And um, they also, you, you, you pick these things up and you usually see an inverted anus on a fish, one that's really been looking for them and eating them. Um, but that's why the big, the big, big size two, size four rubber leg thing that you can barely cast. Um, it really works. Travis, talk to us a little bit about overall trip cost. So where does PRG and, and kind of the typical Patagonian lodge destination rate compared to some of the other well-known freshwater destinations around the world, whether it's Montana or Alaska or New Zealand, where does Patagonia kind of come in for say a seven to 10 day trip? So our our we we have such different places that you can go and and we have something for everyone but our our pricing is anywhere from about 5 grand to $8400 um for 7 nights 6 days. Um I think we're pretty much right in the middle of, you know, your your typical um, Western trip. If you're going to a fly shop and just getting guides, you still are eating out and doing all this thing. So we're all inclusive. We include everything, um, from everything, basically, you know, the, the wine, the, the liquor, everything's included. So you're not getting that extra amount. Um, most, most Alaskan de destinations are a little more and a lot of places that say they charge a little less charge you for those things. And so, so we don't hide any of the things that we're going to charge for. And I think we're right, right in the ballpark for your average trip. Yeah, totally. It, it seems like it, it might be a little more than a Western U.S. trip, certainly less than a, a full-blown Alaska package. Uh, but when you factor travel and everything in there, it, it's anywhere from, as you were saying, you know, maybe seven to, to 10 grand a week, all-inclusive. Yeah, yeah, depending on the, if you're going to have the flight into it. Yeah. And it depends on the lodge. I mean, most people call up and they say, I want to book this trip. I want to come this time. Where should I go? And the first thing comes to mind is, is, is you say, it's not really necessarily what do you want to spend, but do you want to go, you want the high-end stuff or do you want the basic or the the authentic stuff? And they say, well, what's the authentic stuff? And you're like, well, that's that's an estancia. It's not maybe as, as high-end and fancy in food. It's more home cooking, uh, a standard wine package, uh, double accommodation. Uh, no, maybe that doesn't fit somebody. And they say, well, what, what's this high-end stuff? And so, you know, at our, our Lodge of Trevelin, for example, everybody gets a single room. Um, so there are not many places you go in the world where you're like, everybody gets a single room. Yeah, it's, it's included in the price. So you're talking about, a, you know, Trevelin, we've got a 200 bottle uh, scotch bar. Uh, we've got three bars at the place, in fact. Um, but basically, you got a, you got a single room. you got the all-inclusive package. You've got a pretty sophisticated uh, food and beverage package. You've got a spa on site. you got a vineyard there. So that's kind of where the price goes from this five grand to 8400 But if you said, you know, I want to go to Alaska and get a single room, <clears throat> you're probably, you know, you're probably looking at uh, 10 to 14 grand. Um, I mean, you know the prices better than we do. 
Um, so it's, it's, I think it's more than West, but I think it's, I, I think it's, it's, it's a comparative, uh, and good price. So if someone wants to go, how far out do they need to book? And this is another question we get a lot. I mean, is it ever too early to start planning and looking at dates with you guys? No, we, we typically book up at least a year in advance. So, um, you want to be the early bird and try to try to get your try to get your dates or at least start get start working with us we have so many return guests that sometimes it's hard to get a spot but we will find you one if you if you're willing to you know get in there get on our list and and you know one of our destinations will definitely have a spot in the in the travel time that you want to come well you know our advice is always book early if you want to go to yeah, PRG I, because exactly. it, it's yeah. a hard program to get into, but it's, it's well worth the, the effort in starting early, no doubt about it. We talked a few minutes ago about um, Buenos Aires. And when you arrive in Argentina, especially if it's your first trip down, consider spending a day or two. It's, it's well worth it in that city. How about other trip add-ons? Uh, you know, if people are coming down and let's say they want to fish 10 days, is there other things in the Patagonia region that are, are worth adding on to a trip? Yeah, totally. Um, I think the biggest mistake people make is not cutting off enough time for, for a trip to Patagonia. So first timers usually do the week in and out, and then they kick themselves and they want to start over and do it again. Um, second time travelers always take an extended stay. Um, and we're talking about it through PRG. You can, you can go to one of three regions and do a trip, you know, 21 days if you want to, but Many people want to see more of what Argentina is all about. And we're talking about a very vast, diverse country. Um, we've got uh, two, even three wine countries. Mendoza comes to mind, uh, Salta. Uh, we've got the Iguazu Falls. We've got the, 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 the Cordoba region. Uh, and we've got, as I discussed earlier, we've got the Glacier National Parks uh, in the south. We've got marine life. Uh, one of the most diverse uh, marine lives in all of all of the world. You see the you know the killer whales eating sea lions and stuff here. Um, so you can literally speak to us um, about an extended stay, and we can put something together throughout the country. Don't think you're going to see all of Argentina in one trip. Um, this is kind of you know take four or five years. And you're going to start to get a sense of what Argentina is all about. Um, and many people come down and they're they're like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> this is Argentina. I'm staying here. Um, it's really a, really an amazing place. Well, and that's actually a, a great segue to this question of, of non-anglers and family members that may not come down specifically for the fishing, but they want to come down and accompany an angler. Um, is Patagonia the place to visit if you're not going there specifically to fish? Well, not only is the culture, you know, part of the reason you go there, but but the, we have we have great non-angling programs and we have it set up so non-anglers get their own guide. And so around the area where, you know, right right at the base of the Andes, there's amazing hiking. Um, there are national parks around PRG North and around Treveline. Um, there's great whitewater rafting. There's, you can cross the border into Chile and get your passport stamped. There are museums. There are um, great artisanal fairs. Um, San Martin is kind of like the Jackson Hole of, of Argentina. So um, people love going in there and going shopping and just checking out the town, spending a day, um, having a great lunch. We have We have great um, chefs and our chefs will all give cooking lessons so you can learn how to make empanadas. And, and we also at traveling, we have our vineyard, so you can do a wine tour in the area and then you can do a great wine tasting. And so we can set up whatever someone wants if they, if they're non-anglers. And so, you know, and, and just, just going out actually and floating with, your angler in the back of the boat in like Los Alerces National Park. It's amazing bird life. The scenery is incredible. And you might even try to pick up a fly rod. Yeah, I think you should, you know, we also want to mention the horseback riding, polo, all the Estancia stuff. I mean, th this is really one of the reasons why what Argentina is. It's, a, it's about the countryside. It's about the ranches, which we call Estancias. It's about their horsemanship, their polo playing. You can go out. So many of these days, even with fishing, um, 
you jump in these trucks we talked about in the first episode and part of the adventure is where am I going today? And so you're going to go in a different direction every day and you're going to see real Patagonia and you're going to see things going on. You're going to see gauchos. Uh, there are occasional rodeos, there are occasional polo matches. There are all kinds of things going on. People moving cattle there. I mean, we've got the millions of sheep. I mean, you, something interesting is going to happen every single day day you go in in every direction. Uh, and you've been, you've been there, you've seen this stuff. And I mean, part of the, part of the trip is the fishing and that's what we focus on. But along the way you find all kinds of interesting and unique things happening. That's what makes it one of my favorite destinations on the planet. I mean, there's nothing quite like Argentina and, no. and Patagonia. No. And, and one, one other thing I'd like to put the climate being so diverse with the rainforest and the desert and everything, we, it's a, actually a birder's dream down there. We have several guests that have their binoculars around their necks all the time. One in particular, she, uh, she and her, her son, they made a bird checklist for us of the area. And I think there were like 400 birds that they've identified down there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really an incredible spot. So we have guided bird watching tours as well. If someone wants to do that. Nice. Well, we talked a little bit about the travel involved in flying um, specifically from the U S down to Argentina and kind of the misconception that, Oh, this is a really long, arduous journey. Not the case at all. Um, what are some other misconceptions that people might, that they might hold somebody back from booking a trip to Patagonia? I think, uh, many people, you know, Argentines, they, they speak Spanish, um, that maybe they, 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 they can't travel around because they don't speak Spanish. But I think one of the things they'd find out is that uh, the majority, more than 50% of the Argentines study English uh, and speak really good English. And so no matter if you're traveling around, driving on your own, fishing on your own, this, that, and the other, there's enough people that speak English and that are eager to speak to you. As soon as you speak a little Spanish, I think, I think you lose a little bit in terms of the hospitality of the Argentines, they kind of want to take you under their wing uh, and speak to you. So I think I think Spanish uh, being being like a, a no, I'm going to go to New Zealand because I speak English and they speak English too. Um, I think that would be my number one misconception, right? Another another thing is people are worried that it might not be safe, um, and and I think in in my opinion, and I've done about every dumb thing you can possibly do in the country. Um, <laughs> it, it is very safe. And, you know, I've been into the, the worst neighborhoods in Buenos Aires or not close to the worst, I guess. And, and I've never felt unsafe and the people are really genuine. They're, they're, you know, the, there aren't a lot of guns down there. So there, it's not, it's not very dangerous and you're, you're, you, it's going to be, it's not a big deal to travel down there and even be on your own in the big cities. As long as you're not rooting for the wrong soccer team in True. the wrong neighborhood. True. Yeah. True. Right. <laughs> well, we, we closed out the last episode and, and I asked you guys about how you think the, the fishing has changed over the last 25 years since you've been guiding and fishing down there. Let me ask you this. What do you think the future looks like for the fisheries in Patagonia? Where do you guys see things in the region, say, 10 years from now? Well, I think, uh, um, I think the climate's changing. Um, I think it's getting warmer, which is actually, it's actually good for the traveling angler. Um, I think from the first, first time we went down there, we used to live in a sweater. Um, we're to the point now where we planted a vineyard in an area that's never had a vineyard. We really pioneered something. And, you know, uh, we went from basically a region you wouldn't even considered it to, to now you can have a vineyard in this area. So that's how much has changed just in 20 years. Um, I think over the long term, we're talking hundreds of years. Um, it may have an effect on trout fishing, but I think over the next 10 years, we're totally fine. Um, one of the things I'm worried about is, 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 is sort of encroachment of just normal uh, population. And so we've seen it here in Montana, Travis and I, you know, growing up here, uh, some rivers you flow, you see a house almost every, around every bend. And a lot of them sit right on it. We got castles on the upper big hole now. Um, and so I think those, those things are more about the experience, but I think that, um, over time we'd like to see Patagonia conserved a little bit. Well, I'm going to put both of you guys on the spot here and you're going to hate me for this, but I want to ask you specifically about some of your favorite fisheries down there. Let's say that you can pick 
three pieces of water or rivers that, in your opinion, are kind of must-fish destinations? And I know this depends on the time of year and the seasons and the conditions, but, you know, do you have any absolute favorites that if, uh, you know, all things being equal, if someone's coming down, a couple key pieces of water or or rivers that that you think are just absolutely spectacular down there? Well, my favorite river um, is the Rivadavia. It's... Um, it's not our easiest river, um, but it is um, one of the prettiest places I've ever been in my life. The The water is gin clear all the way down to, you know, 20 feet down. You can see all the fish, um, but when you can see all the fish, they can see you too. And they have, they have an amazing amount of food in that river. It's um, the majority that they're eating underwater is probably midge, um, but it's all sight fishing. And, you know, even, even though it's difficult being able to sight fish, being able to see all that you're in the rainforest, um, it, it just is something you shouldn't miss if you're down there. Yeah. So <clears throat> some things that come to my mind, I, I think I want to talk about like unique hatches and weird stuff that happens. Um, there's a river at PRG North called the Koshankura and, um, they get a minnow run and it goes through February into March and these so small Pujian minnows migrate up the river and you will see, um, rainbow trout and brown trout work together, uh, like marine animals pushing these, these minnows up onto a shoal and then crushing them. This is stuff somebody has to see. Um, I think that, uh, we haven't talked a lot about lake fishing, um, but I can tell you lake number two in Rio Pico, uh, would be on the top of my list as one place. If you want to go out and try to try to battle with, uh, a rainbow, um, this is the real deal. Um, we're talking rainbows that, that go from the high 20 inch range into the mid thirties, uh, that are, you know, you would think they came from the ocean. They're bright silver. And they're everything you can do to land on zero X 12 to 15 pound tippet. Um, you've been there, you've seen them. Um, Lago dos. Lago dos. Yeah. And the diversity, I mean, I think you also got to try to get yourself on a, um, on a, on a spring Creek. Um, and I'm not going to name these. I mean, you put me on the spot, but I'm not going to, no, no, we don't want you to give anything away, but that's, I'm going to, that's why people have to book a trip and go down. And get yeah. It. So I'm going to, you want to get onto <laughs> something that you've never done before. And I'm talking about these things that are maybe two to three feet wide. And, um, you, you, you just like, where's the water you drive in. And then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, there can't be anything in here. And almost every cast is a fish over 20 inches. Um, and obviously these are not on the map. Um, these aren't on social media. These are, these are sort of those, those secret little deals. Um, so those are like three things that come to my mind of what you really want to do, um, and places you want to look for. All right. So three other things here, right here. I want from you guys, you can answer this collectively if you want three final takeaways, three key pieces of advice for planning a successful trip to Patagonia, be it to, to fish with PRG or to another Argentine destination. What are three things you can share with our listeners that'll make for a, a better overall experience? I think, you know, come with your mind open, um, get ready to to relax and forget about the rest of the world um and anytime you have a chance to go you should get on a plane and try to go down there so don't wait um the time is now and just do it yeah and uh you know we already talked about this a little bit but take more time um don't go for a week don't go for two weeks if you can if you can take three weeks take your three weeks take advantage of that international flight uh, and take your time. It's if you're doing this on your own or not, uh, you want to, you kind of want to want to spend some time. And if you do it on your own, you're going to need the extra three weeks. Um, so I think time. Yeah, definitely. The longer, the better. You're going to love it. Most everyone leaves wanting more. Well, and, and to your point of, of, you know, pick a time and do it. That's one of the biggest holdups. You know, so many people say, oh, you know, it's been on my bucket list. You know, so eventually I'm going to get down there. But I always love the, the Warren Miller quote from the world of skiing that if you don't do it this year, you'll just be another year older when you finally do. So, yeah. you know, make it happen. Go down. It is well worth it. And it is hands down one of my favorite destinations on the planet. Yeah. So final question for you guys. 
and uh, we'll we'll go deep here. All right. Uh, the question is this: simply, why fly fishing? You know, we talked about your introductions to the sport as kids, how you guys have have gone on to make fly fishing your professions. But all these years later, uh, what is it that kind of keeps you guys going? Do you and do you still love it as much as you did in the very beginning? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that gets overlooked here is is why we fish, um, and the water itself is is sort of medicine, and it's a it's a way that there a lot of people are high strung. We all get we all get stressed. We get stressed at home. We get stressed at our job. Uh, water going to water and fishing. Uh, the reason I like to fish is you can't think about anything else when you're fishing. Uh, you got to handle the line. You got to read the water. You've got to make the cast. And although you look up and you smell the air and you look at the mountains and everything else, if you're really fishing, you're, you're breaking your mind's ability to, to make you worry about stuff. And it may be your health and maybe your wife, maybe your job. And we get customers all the time that come down. Um, I mean, literally every week they walk off the, they walk off the plane, they walk into the lodge. Uh, they're all fired up and they're fired up in one way or another. They're fired up because they love fishing or they're fired up because they're just totally out of whack, stressed out coming out of a city. Um, put those folks in water for a week. Uh, the water is healing the process of fishing, the places they are, uh, and everything that we do that fly fishes cures and helps our mind. Um, and it's not just about the fish and the fishing and the catching and the hooking. It's about literally breaking our mind of, of our daily stresses. Well said. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how we will see people who from cocktail hour, the first arrival day to the third day, they, their personalities will change a hundred percent. Um, you know, and one of the, one of the things about what we do for a living is getting to show those people exactly, you know, how it, how it feels to be, you know, living our lifestyle and how it feels and, 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 how it feels to be a guide. And, and, you know, when, when you put someone on a fish, you feel like you've caught that fish and you see the excitement and all that in, in people. And, um, it just makes you feel good about things. Yeah, totally. Well, boys, thank you. This has been great. Another great episode. And we really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and, and talk to you about your stories and the creation of Patagonia river guides and, uh, and your life of fishing. Thanks, Jim. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of Waypoints, the podcast that is 100% dedicated to travel, adventure, and exploration. Be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research your next fishing trip. Sign up for current news and new podcasts and stay up to date on the latest from the world of angling and travel. Join us for our next episode of Waypoints and always remember that life is short, the world is crazy, but no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles.